For those of you that did not see, that was off camera. I did not trip. So that did not happen. I don't care what these people tell you. That didn't happen. Good morning. Glad you're here, Southview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. For those of you that are a guest, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. It's so good to have you with us today. As we begin worshiping together, I want to read some scripture for us. Psalm 18, verses 1 through 3. says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Here's the big idea. If you today are in need of salvation, and by that I don't just mean you're lost, you need to be saved, and I pray that it is true of you today that that will happen, but you need hope, you need security, you need a rock. You need something that won't shift, something that won't change, something that, that can be sure. If you're in need of that, you are in the right place. Because today, you're going to hear about the rock that is higher than I. Today, you're going to hear about your good God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is unchanging and is the only thing in your life that you can cling to. Jesus is that rock. And to Him, we praise Let's bow our heads. Let's start this morning. As we lift our voices here in just a moment in praise, I want to start by praying together. And I want to encourage you. As we sing, sing with enthusiasm because there is a rock. There is a sure place of salvation. And as verse 3 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So Lord Jesus, we thank you. You are worthy, you are mighty, you are awesome. We lift our voices to you here today, O oh God. We ask you that you would reveal yourself to us as that great and amazing rock that we can cling to. And we know we will be secure because you are always secure. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord together. Good morning, church. Praise our living God together today through song. Higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave, constant in the trial and the change, this one faith this one faith remains. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me.
never runs out on me. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. On and on and on and on it goes. Yes, it overwhelms and satisfies my soul. And I never ever have to be afraid. This one thing remains. Your love never fails, never gives up, never runs. Turn it for good. 
gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory. I was thinking about this today, church, this morning, and I was thinking, I get worried when we sing some of these songs, you know, because they say things and they proclaim things about how we feel about Christ that I don't know that everybody feels that way, you know? I don't know that everybody believes what we're singing, and it's, it's not a slam, it's a reminder that... Um, that if he is holy and he is true and he is righteous, that we long to see him, that we long to live in ways that conform to his spirit. And I was thinking for what the psalmist says, and I ask this of myself and I ask this of you, are these things true? He says, my, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He said, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. He says, whom, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Is that true in your heart today? So that when we sing these things, that we actually live them out just by the nature of a changed spirit that belongs to Christ. I pray these things are true in your heart. These things are true in my heart. So when we proclaim these things, that we are not hypocrites and God is not he is not disgraced, but he is lifted up because what we say, we live, and it's true. And so we proclaim this. Let's sing. Gathered at the highest throne, welcomed by a melody, an anthem I have always known, a song that's always been in All glory and honor, dominion and power to you. A million angels fall, face down on the floor, all to echo, holy is the Lord. My heart can't help but sing with all of heaven roll, forever echo, holy. 
going to jump in here to the Word. Before we do that, I want to take just a moment and start with a time of prayer. So I have good news and I have bad news today. Uh, the good news is that as we dive into the book of James, we're going to be looking at the tongue and how we speak. The bad news is as we dive into the book of James today, we're going to be looking at the tongue and how we speak. Um, so, I think it would be only fitting if we, before we do that, take a little time and pray. Um, so, if you're new here, what we try to do is take a little time each week and pray together. And we use the sermon, uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, uh, his model prayer as kind of a little model for that. We want to kind of teach you how to pray as we're going. 
And so as you go through Jesus' model prayer, you get to verse 12 in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, Forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who are indebted to us, or forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. The idea is we have sins that we need to confess, and we have sins of others that we need to forgive. And so that needs to be a regular, active part of your prayer life where you are As God convicts you of sin, you are confessing and repenting of that sin. And as people have sinned against you, you are actively praying forgiveness for them. Right? That needs to be a regular part of your your prayer life. And so, I want to, this morning, take just a second and, and ask the Lord before we dive into the Word that God would search our hearts so that we can discern if there are any sins today that we need to confess and repent of. Because here's the thing, uh, the prophet Jeremiah says that your heart is deceitfully wicked. What that means is your heart is so good at lying, it lies to you. And typically it lies to you by telling you you're better than you really are. That's not a sin and that's not a problem and that's a thing for them and boy I hope Bob was listening today. Instead what we want to do is Ask God to search our hearts as we're not the ones searching necessarily as much as God is. And as God searches our hearts, if he sees things that need to be dealt with, that we would confess that and he would deal with it. So Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, Search me, O Lord, my God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So we want to take some time today and pray what David prayed. That God would search our hearts. That he would search us and know us. And if there is anything grievous in there, anything that grieves God. Any sin that needs to be confessed, repented of. That God would show us that. And that's a good thing. He would show us that and we would indeed confess, repent, and turn. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. And, and this morning it's just about you praying, okay? You sit before the Lord and you ask God that he would, as you open up your heart to him, that he would, as we dive into his word, search your heart and do what only he can do in that. So just take just a moment and set that before the Lord. Father, I just ask that uh, as we set our hearts before you and and ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what only you can do, that's exactly what you will. We ask you, God, that you would search us, that you would know our hearts, that you would try us and know our thoughts, that you would search to see if there's any grievous way in us, and if so, you would point that out and then lead us into the path of everlasting righteousness. Do this in us, God, for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. If you've got a Bible, let's find James together, all right? We're going to be in James. James chapter 3. James 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. So, 
As we've been going through the book of James, we've been having our big idea for the book of James. And if you've been with us, you know what that is. Our big idea for James is a faith that saves you will also change you. The whole point behind this is if you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you will change. You will grow, right? Um, if you're genuinely a follower of Christ with genuine faith in Christ, you will grow. You will mature. You will repent of sin. You will grow in holiness, right? You will, this will be an aspect of who you are. You will grow and mature. And as we're going to see today, part of that way that you're going to mature is in how you talk. Uh, statistically speaking, the average human spends about one-fifth of their entire life talking. One-fifth of your life is spent with your mouth open. Now, for some of us, again, that's the average, right? So some of us, you're like, you're way less than that. Others are like, one-fifth, ha! Mm, no, I'm going to blow that out of the water. It's the average, right? So on average, we spend about a fifth of our entire life talking. So it would make total sense that if the point of James is to teach us how to practically live the faith, it makes absolute sense that he would want to spend time addressing the thing that we spend one-fifth of our entire life doing, right? That makes total sense, correct? So, we jump in today and see this. And what we're going to do, we're going to break it down kind of in two areas. We're going to first see the why God thinks it's so important to focus on what you say and, and, and how you say it. The, the why. And then on the back end, we're going to get a little bit of the how do we Fix this. What do we do about this, right? So first, the why. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you our four points first, and then we'll work our way back through it, all right? So here are the big whys. Why? Why does God care so much about the tongue? Number one, God cares so much about the tongue because everyone needs to mature in how they speak. This means you. Number two, God cares so much about the tongue because controlling the tongue allows you to control everything else. Number three, God cares about the tongue because an uncontrolled tongue destroys everything and everyone around you. And fourth, God cares about the tongue because your tongue will either bless or curse. You cannot have it both ways. It will just do one or the other. So, what we want to do is see how God guides us to do the, the blessing, not the, not the cursing, right? So, we're going to dive into these four reasons in the text as to why God cares so much, and then we'll come back on the back end and talk a little bit about how we grow in controlling our tongue. All right, so first is this, James chapter 3, verse 1. First big point, everyone needs to mature in how they speak. This means you. Uh, to show that everyone needs to take the tongue seriously and actively seek to grow and mature in how they speak, uh, James starts by focusing on pastors and teachers. All right, so verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So teachers were very important in the first century church, just like they are today. And it's true then, just like it is true now, that people who desire prominence oftentimes pursue a teaching position. That is very true. That happens. But what James is trying to get at and help us understand is with that greater um, uh, um, opportunity comes much 
greater responsibility. And it says that you will be judged with a greater strictness. Some of your translations are going to say judge with a greater judgment. The word greater, we're going to see a couple of times in this text, is mega. Right, megas. Right, where you get mega, huge, massive. So FYI, you want to be a Bible teacher? Then when you stand before Jesus, your judgment is going to be massive. Anybody want to be a pastor? <laughs> like, it's okay. I'll just sell insurance. I'm good. I'm great. Thanks. Uh, and here's why it's a big deal. Um, teachers use words, right? We traffic in ideas, in rhetoric, in speech. This is what we do. And so if this is what we do, how we use our tongue, not only when we're teaching, but in all of life, really, really matters. And this is true not just for for people who preach for a living, but for everyone. Look, if you lead a journey group, if you lead a Bible study, if you help teach in our youth ministry or in our children's ministry, you are a teacher. And what you do with your tongue matters. So specifically for pastors, again, how we do deal with our tongue, what we do with our tongue, makes a massive difference. Again, just to kind of show how important the tongue is and how huge this is, I'm going to read another scripture to you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says to pastors. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, Correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to, knowledge, to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So let's recap just this for a second. I don't know if you grasp this. God linked, God just linked a church member's ability to get set free from demonic oppression. He just linked that to how gently their pastor talks to them. It's that big of a deal. It, and, and yes, it does talk about in this passage that pastors need to be able to teach. Right? It says that. But if you'll notice, there's a whole list of other things. And, and the teaching part just crammed in the middle. It's not even the first thing. What does it say? Verse 24. Not quarrelsome. Kind to everyone. Able to teach, patient when enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. I am dumbfounded, dumbfounded by the churches that I see who allow their pastors, whether lead pastors or staff pastors, to talk like jerks and you're just okay with it. I am dumbfounded by this. Like, have you read a Bible? It matters. Pastors who are constantly sarcastic. And constantly biting and picking on people and making jokes, being quarrelsome, pushing back in defensiveness if someone dare questions them. Like, well, that's just who he is. Yeah, that is who he is. And who he is should have gotten him fired. Because God says it matters. Like, how a pastor talks is directly connected to whether or not you get set free from Satan. Right? The tongue matters that much. So then, 
he broadens it out a little bit in verse 2. Actually broadens it out a lot, verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. James switches to the we, right? And so he's describing all of our propensity to sin, specifically in the context of words. Again, it's important for this stricter judgment for pastors and then that we all sin. The context here in this passage, again, is clearly the tongue. He's talking about the tongue. We all stumble in many ways, specifically with our speech. There's one thing we all have in common. Our mouth can get us in trouble, man. Now, how that manifests for you might be different. One person sort of passive-aggressively gossips. Another person just straight-aggressively has an outburst of anger. One person will speak harshly to their kids. Another person couldn't fathom talking to their kids like that, but you will ream your spouse. So it might manifest differently, but the one thing we all share, the one thing we all have in common is... We desperately need to mature in how we speak. Why does God make this such a big deal? Because this is the one thing we all need growth in. This is the one area no human in this room can stand and go, check. Why is this a big deal? Because everyone. Everyone has to mature in this. And to prove that point, James starts by pointing the bullseye at the guy talking. Everyone. Everyone. Uh, But you keep on going. Second, God thinks this is such a big deal because controlling the tongue allows you to control everything else. Look back at verse 2. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So we all sin, we all have temptation, we're all wanting to grow in the faith, right? So, so here's what happens. We want to grow, we want to mature, we want to develop, we, we want to do that, but it can feel a little overwhelming. So you think, where do I start? James says, start with the tongue. Start there. Here's why. If you can bridle the tongue, everything else gets a lot easier. Right, if you just start there, everything else gets a lot easier. Have you ever noticed how many sins in your life in some way, shape, or form involve your mouth? If you just get that straight, how much stuff just stops? Right? It's huge. If you can bridle the tongue, if you can control the tongue, you can control pretty much everything else. Right? If you can master this then these things come a lot easier. If you can run marathons, running around the house is not a problem for you. If if you're a professional golfer, hitting a two-foot putt should not be a problem most of the time. If you're a skilled surgeon, you can take out a splinter. If you're a world-class chef, you can scramble a couple of eggs. When you've mastered this, you can do these. These just come much easier. And so James is saying, look, you you want to see real, practical, spiritual fruit bear out in your life. Start here. Start there. And and everything else starts to fall in line. Right? And, And not only that, 
So he gives a couple of illustrations of, of the tongue, and that, that gives another cool point. Look at verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they uh, obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look, the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Look again at verse 5. When it says, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Again, there's that word again, grace. Great. Megas. Mega. Huge. Big. Enormous. This tongue has the power to do massively huge things, right? So it uses the example of a bit with a horse or a rudder with a ship. Right? You have these huge horses, thousand plus pound horses, and you have these tiny little jockeys on them that can make them go wherever they want to go. Why? Because there's a bit in the mouth, and the jockey has the reins, and they can turn that horse wherever they want. Or these huge, enormous, city floating cruise ships and there's a relatively small rudder that determines where that huge city on the water goes in the same way your tongue can do great things your tongue has the ability to radically shift so many things in your life let's just think just practically just for a minute you ready if the only thing you changed, if the only thing you changed was how you talked to your spouse, how different would your marriage be? If the only thing you changed was how you talked to your kids, how different would your relationship with them be? Teenagers, if the only thing you did was change the way you talked to your parents, how different would your relationship with them be? At work, if the only thing you changed was how you talk and communicate to your co-workers, how drastically different would your work environment be? Just like a tiny little rudder has the opportunity to change the direction of massively huge ships, so also... Your tiny tongue has the ability to change the direction of massively huge relationships. This thing can change everything. If you just change this. So controlling the tongue has the ability to radically change so much in your life. But, here's the problem. Look at verse 5 again. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Great, yes, wonderful. But not just great good, it can also be great bad. However, a great forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. That brings us to our third point. An uncontrolled tongue will destroy everything around you. It will destroy everything and everyone. Look at that second half of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. 
The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and setting on and set on fire by hell. Look specifically at verse 6. Look at the way the tongue is described. It describes it as a fire. Now, when a fire is controlled and in the right place, it can give life-saving warmth. However, if a fire is uncontrolled and just wild, it kills and destroys everything. And that's the way it's describing our uncontrolled tongues. It's a wildfire that consumes everything in its path. It says in verse 6 also that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. In other words, the tongue represents and puts into expression all the wickedness of the world. Like I was saying, how many sins in your life involve your mouth? How many things involve your mouth? How many relationships in your life have been devastated because of things you've said? A world of unrighteousness exists inside that little tiny piece of flesh. It goes on in verse 6 to say the tongue stains the whole body. What you say contaminates all of you. Here's why you cannot, it's so difficult to separate what someone says with who they are. You ever been in a situation where someone said something? They said it was out of bounds, it was wrong, it was, it was, it was horrible and they get called on it, and they say, well, okay, okay, that's what I said, but that's not what I mean. Even if that's true, even if it's true that you just said a dumb thing, but that's not really what you mean, and I said, okay, I said it, and I meant to say it, and I wanted to hurt you. Let's just be honest. Have anyone in the room ever said something you knew was going to crush someone, and that's why you said it? Okay, the rest of you are liars. That's next Sunday's sermon. So here's the thing. Why is it so difficult when someone says something and they go, I didn't really mean it like that. Why is it so hard to believe them? Because what you say stains who you are. It stains you. You can't rub that thing off easily. Well, I'm said I'm sorry. It's staining. And then last it says, well, the tongue sets on fire the entire course of life. That's such an interesting little phrase. Sets on fire the entire course of life. That phrase, entire course of life, means the cycle of existence. In other words, all of life. Your tongue has the ability to destroy every single thing in your life. There isn't a single thing in your existence that cannot be set on fire and destroyed by your mouth. It has the ability to destroy Everything. And then it says in the end of verse 6, it's set on fire by hell. Evil speech destroys because Satan himself is behind it. And then verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. That's supposed to be a little bit of a, um, a comedy moment there from James, right? He's like, oh. Humans, we can teach our dogs to roll over and play dead, but we can't control our own mouths. Right? Oh, you can go to the circus and a bear can ride a bicycle, but we can't control our mouths. Right? You can go to SeaWorld and get a dolphin to give you a high five, but you can't control your mouth. And it ends in verse 8. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If left unchecked, your uncontrolled tongue is a deadly poison that will kill you 
and everyone that you love. And here's the important thing about the tongue, and I want you to hear this. Here's why it's so dangerous. Usually, the people we harm most with what we say are those closest to us. It is, a, it is, it is as if you're dropping rat poison in your family dinner every night. You're just killing them. You're just killing them. And then, our last point I want you to see why this is a big deal. Your tongue will either bless or curse. Look at verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not be so, so real simple, the word bless means to speak well of, the word curse means to speak ill of, or literally to cut with words is what the word curse means. To speak well of someone or to speak ill of someone cutting them down. And what James is saying is, so, so let me see if I get this straight. We come into church and we speak well of God, but then we leave church and we speak ill of people who have been created in the image of God. And he says in verse 10, my brothers, these things ought not be so. Which is a really polite Bible way of saying, are you stinking kidding me right now? Like, are, you, are you joking or are you serious? Like, this, are you serious? You, you, you just sat in here and said praise God and, and then walked out and used that same mouth to curse someone made in the image of God? Like you don't see that's a problem? It, and to kind of help explain that a little bit more, you got verses 11 and 12, which gives a couple of illustrations. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he's trying to drive this point home that you can't have blessing and cursing come from the same place. It's like fresh water and salt water cannot come from the same spout. Right? Fig trees and, 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 and uh, grapes do not come from the same vine. Right? One tree cannot produce multiple fruit. One spout cannot produce multiple types of water. There's only one thing that can come out, and that's the way he's describing your mouth. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're filled and submitted to the Spirit of God, what should come out of your mouth is a blessing and not a curse. It cannot be this way. This ought not be so. Why does God care so much about the tongue? Because he knows Proverbs 18.21 says death and life are in the power of your tongue. With your tongue you have the ability to either raise someone up or utterly destroy them. And, and we have dealt with this societally speaking, just horrifically. What do we teach our kids? Sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Whoever came up with that had to be deaf. Right? That's the only way words have not hurt that guy. Right? Or my personal favorite, I'm rubber, you glue, whatever you say about yourself, me and sticks to you. Brothers and sisters, you have the power of death or life in what you speak. You can either bless or you can curse. And it means something. Uh, 
Proverbs 12, 18, Solomon said that the wise person, when he speaks, brings health. In Romans 15, 32, Paul said that he wanted his words to refresh the Christians in Rome. In Galatians 4, 6, Paul wrote to the Colossians that let your speech always be accompanied by grace. The home, the marriage, the church, our relationships should be marked by these things. Healing, refreshing, grace-filled words. And if that's not true of you, then you should be listening to the admonition of James. These things ought not be so. And here's the problem again, like we talked about at the beginning. We oftentimes deceive ourselves about this. That, well, okay, I don't, I'm not cursing anybody. That's crazy. And by the way, when he talks about cursing, he doesn't mean saying naughty words. He's talking about the way you speak to people. Uh, Danny Aiken, the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, in his commentary on this passage, did a really good thing. He kind of broke down, um, just, he just kind of free thought some, here are some things that we often say to people, our family members, our friends, our church members, our work associates, things that we often say that are curses. We don't realize they are, but they actually are. So just real quick, see if any of these ring a bell. And eyes right here, do not look at your spouse. You are just like your mother. I said it right here. You are just like your father. I told you so. I can talk to you until I'm blue in the face, and it doesn't do any good. I can do whatever I want to do. You are always in a bad mood. I can't do anything to please you. You're such a baby. You deserve a taste of your own medicine. What were you thinking? What is your problem? You're impossible. You will never amount to anything. I don't know why I put up with you. Do you always have to be right? All you ever do is think about yourself. That was really stupid. Can't you see I'm busy? Can't you do anything right? You'd lose your head if it wasn't screwed on. Don't you ever listen? It's all your fault. Go away. You'll never change. These are nothing less than cursing being called down on those usually closest to us. But on the flip side, what does refreshing, healing, gracious speech sound like? It would sound something like this. I love you. Thank you. I appreciate you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. I'm glad God gave you to me. I really appreciate your help. Let me do that for you. I can't wait to see what God's going to do with you. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you. I'm proud of you. These are sweet, refreshing, cool water. This is apples of gold and pitchers of silver. James is saying that we must choose to be a fountain from which sweet water comes. We must choose to be a tree that ripe fruit grows on. So how do we do this? What do we do? Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Number one is this. Some truths 
that must be established in our hearts. Number one, what comes out of your mouth originates in your heart. What comes out of your mouth originates in your heart. Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Listen, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Listen, the point of this is not for you to bite your tongue. At its very heart, the issue is not your mouth, the issue is your heart. The issue is not just what you say, the issue is what is in your heart. Everything that comes out of your mouth originated in your heart. And I know there are people right now in this room that are thinking, that's not true. No, 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 no. No, I said that, but that's not what I mean in my heart. Here's going to be the problem. Jesus says it is, so either you're wrong or he's wrong. I'll let you duke that out. Either Jesus is wrong and you're totally the exception, which could be true. Or your heart is continuing to lie to you. Don't let it do that. At the end of the day, the issue is not your tongue, it's your heart. Your tongue is just a tattletale. You ever had that kid in school that just loved telling on people? Don't you just want to punch that kid in the face? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That's wrong. I shouldn't have said that. That's in my heart. That's in my heart. See, I need help too. Jesus, help me. Your tongue is just a tattletale. It just goes to God saying, God, it's in his heart, God. It's in his heart. It's right there. Praise God that you say dumb things because it finally shows you what's in your heart. Saying the dumb thing isn't always bad because it shows you what's there and needs to be dealt with. The one thing I love about social media is it gave an opportunity for what was in your heart to finally come out. You always were a jerk. Now we just get to see it. You always were arrogant and thought you were right. You always secretly in your mind debated with everybody. Now we just get to watch it. It just shows what was always in there. What comes out of your mouth originates in your heart. Second truth you need to grasp is the only way you're going to control your tongue is if you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. So if the tongue is a bit in the mouth of a horse or the rudder of a ship, it leaves us with one question. Well, who has the reins and who's at the wheel? For some of us, no one's at the reins and no one's at the will, and you're just saying everything that flies into your brain. There is zero control. For others of us, emotion has the reign. Emotion has the will. Your emotions determine what you say. What I want you to see is the scriptures say who needs to be in control, who needs to have the reins, who needs to be at the will of the ship is the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Imagine what, how different your speech would be. If you were filled and empowered and submitted to the Holy Spirit, 
and your speech was marked with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. How different would the way you talk be if that's what marked it? And the only way that happens is if you are submitted to and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and then there's a bigger reality in all of this. So if you have been here for long and you pay attention, uh, you know that there are several things that I just say a bunch. I just, there are several things I just keep saying over and over and over. Little one-liners I just work in all the time. Right? And, I, and I got that from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. Paul says, to say the same thing over and over to you is no problem for me, and it just might end up saving your soul. So I, I, I gleaned that from Paul, and so there are just a, a couple of things that I just keep saying. I just work it in all the time, right? So I say all the time around here, heaven is not a place for people who don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who actually love Jesus, and the two aren't the same thing. I say that all the time. Here's why. Because we are in the Bible Belt Baptist world, and there are people in this room who went to church, heard a scary sermon on hell, went down front, repeated a prayer, and you think you're saved now, but your life looks nothing like Jesus. Cultural Christianity has gripped you. You think you're saved because you attend here and vote Republican. And I tell you all the time, you're probably lost. Heaven is not a place for people who just don't want to go to hell. Heaven is a place for people who love, worship, obey, serve Jesus. And if you don't do that on earth, you ain't making it to heaven. Another thing that I say all the time is, every issue is a gospel issue. Every issue is a gospel issue. Every sin in your life, every struggle you have, every broken relationship is at its very heart a gospel issue issue. You are going to be a generous giver when you have had your heart gripped by how much Jesus Christ gave you. You are going to be forgiven, forgiving to others when your heart is gripped by how much God forgave you. The key to you being a better spouse is not learning five steps to being a better spouse. It's having your heart soaked in the 5,000 steps Jesus took up Calvary to save your soul. That makes you a better husband and wife. And the same is true with the tongue. This is a gospel issue. Why do you lie? Well, you lie because either you did a bad thing, you don't want people to know it because you don't want them to think bad of you, or you puff up your accomplishments so that they'll think well of you. But the issue isn't lying is bad, you need to not lie, liars go to hell. The issue is a gospel issue. The reason you lie is because you're not secure in who you are in Christ. You desperately need them to think well of you because you do not understand what God really thinks of you. If you understood the gospel, that you are loved and accepted and cherished and forgiven and blessed because of Jesus Christ and nothing can change that, you wouldn't lie to them so that they think better of you. You don't care because God thinks what, you, what God thinks of you matters more. It's a gospel issue. Why do you gossip and speak poorly of people? Because you do not know who you are in Christ. 
And the only way you can feel better about yourself is if you tear them down. But if you knew who you were in Christ, if you knew how cherished and accepted and loved and redeemed you are in Christ, you wouldn't have to tear them down to make yourself feel better because you are overwhelmed with God's grace on your life. And so if things go well for them, praise God. If things go poorly for them, you're genuinely brokenhearted because your identity is in Christ and not in what they do or don't do. Why do you speak harshly and rudely and impatiently with people? Because things aren't going the way you want them to and you have to be in control. It's a gospel issue. When you understand, when you see how God treats you with so much grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and love, you will then be empowered to treat others with grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and love. Every issue is a gospel issue. The illustration I use often with you guys when we talk through this is a sponge. Right? I say you can't, no matter how hard you wrench, no matter how hard you squeeze, no matter what you do, you can't get a drop of liquid out of a dry sponge. What do you have to do? You have to soak that sponge in water, let all those pores fill up. Then you have something to wring out. This is our speech and the gospel. The issue is not for you to bite your tongue. The answer is not for you to take a vow of silence. The answer is not for you to just think before you speak. The answer is the gospel. You have your heart soaked in who Jesus is and what he did for you and how he changed you and how he filled you with grace and love and compassion and mercy and new life. You soak your heart up in that and then when you squeeze out and it comes flying out of your mouth, what will come out is grace, love, mercy, compassion, the gospel. Life will come out of you because you finally understand the life that's been placed in you. The answer to your tongue is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the answer for everything. If you come in for a counseling appointment, if you've done it, you know the answer. It's actually not complicated. Eventually you're going to realize either that's the answer or this dude is not smart. Probably both. The answer is the gospel. And my job is just to show you how the gospel directly impacts that particular thing. The answer is always, Jesus Christ came to this earth to live a sinless life because you are going to always stumble. We saw that in verse 2. And he died the death that you deserve to die in your place so that when you trust by faith in him, he can take away your sin and fill you with his life and his grace and his love and his mercy and his compassion. And he makes you new so that you can now live and speak as someone who's new. This is the answer. So I'm going to ask our band to come up. And as we're doing that, I'm going to give you three real quick just practical things, all right? Just kind of bullet point this thing out for you. What must we do daily as we're thinking about the gospel having an impact on how we speak? Number one, submit to the Holy Spirit. Like I said earlier, the only way you're going to have a controlled tongue is if you're controlled by the Spirit. And the only way you're going to be controlled by the Spirit is if you submit to the Spirit. 
You must daily set your heart to be submitted to God. You must commit yourself to only think what he wants you to think, do what he wants you to do, and say what he wants you to say. If you're a follower of Christ, follow Christ. Submit. Second, you got to repent of sin. So as you were submitting yourself to the Lord, when you notice an attitude in your heart that's not in line with who God is, confess and repent of that before it comes flying out of your mouth. And if you don't catch it in time, and you notice it coming flying out of your mouth, and you curse rather than bless, stop, confess it to the Lord, repent of that, seek Him for the grace to walk in newness away from that, repent. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent. When you see it, turn from it. Don't think that you can play with this thing and you control it. You can't. If you feed the alligator your toes, eventually it will eat your whole leg. All right? Turn the second you see it. And then third, pursue a relationship with Christ. Again, Jesus Christ came and he died and he rose again so that you can have a real relationship with God. A real, legitimate relationship with God. Pursue that in the word. Pursue that in prayer. And as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, the more you pursue Jesus, the more you look at Jesus, the more you go after Jesus, the more you will look like Jesus. So, as we end our time here today, I want to encourage you. Number one, we all stumble in many ways, especially with our tongue. Do not feel like you uh, um, have been singled out in any of this. This squarely falls on all of us. We should all say, God, that's me. Second, I want you to see the significance of this and do not sweep it under the rug. What you say matters. It has the power of death or it has the power of life. And you get to choose which one that's going to be. Third, what I want you to see is, again, the answer for all of this is the gospel. The, the gospel is the answer. Every issue is a gospel issue, and that includes your tongue. You grow, you mature, you live out these truths of who Jesus Christ is for you and in you and through you. And by God's grace, that will empower you to walk in submission and obedience to him. So as we, as we transition to a worship time, I want to ask you to bow your heads. And our band is going to lead us and we're going to sing. But as we do that, I want to encourage you as we sing. Um, you're welcome to come up front and pray. You're welcome to pray right where you are. You're welcome to grab someone to come and pray with you. I'll be up front here. My wife will be up front here. Other church leaders will be up front here. We'd be more than happy to pray with you. But this is all of us. So let's take this seriously and let the gospel of Jesus Christ transform the way we speak so that we can be life givers in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Do this in us for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand, let's worship and pray.
is my shepherd. He goes before me, defender behind me.
more time. Do you believe that when you're singing today, church? Hallelujah. Have a seat for me, guys, real quick as we wrap up our time together. Um, a couple of quick things, just kind of off the heels of the message. I want to give you two more points. Number one, um, if you have realized that there are some sins of the tongue that you've committed against people, yes, you want to confess and repent that to the Lord. But there may be people you need to confess that to as well. I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe there are some conversations you need to have this afternoon where you just confess and repent and ask people to forgive you for the way that you have spoken. I want to encourage you with that. And second is this, it may be that you notice a consistent thing with your mouth uh, that you're struggling with and you need a little more extensive encouragement, help and counseling and shepherding there. Please reach out and talk to us. We want to help you do that, help you walk through that. Again, there's no one you're going to talk to that isn't going to be able to raise their hand and go, yep, I completely understand and we're going to walk together down that path. So if that's something that you need extra encouragement with, please reach out to us and let us do that. Uh, But if you're a guest with us here today, welcome. So glad that you're here. Uh, If you are a guest, I ask that you do two things. One, I'd love to meet you. My wife and I will be up front here. I'd love for you to come forward and just chat and say hello. Second, we'd love for you to grab your cell phone and text the word CONNECT to our number, 910-424-1298, so we can be plugged in with you and know what's going on with your life. Next, our big three announcements, everything that's going on here at Southview, how you can stay plugged in and connected. We have a baptism on March 6th. If you're ready for baptism, text BAPTISM to our number. Uh, Ladies of Grace Beach Trip, I think we have a spot or two left available for that if they haven't already gotten filled up this morning. So if you're interested in that, ladies, if they're still available, you can text BEACH to our number. That'll get you signed up for that if they're still available. And then also for our guys, we're going to have a retreat in October. 